You may be seated and turn to Romans chapter 15. We'll call this the everlasting gospel. I'm sorry, let's call it the everlasting mystery. The everlasting mystery, which is the gospel. And we'll pick up in uh, Romans 15. I'm going to start reading in verse 8 down through 21. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. And that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy as it is written, For this cause I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing unto your name. And again he says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with His people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and laud Him, all you people. And again, Isaiah says, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. In him shall the Gentiles trust. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort as putting you in mind because of the grace of God that is given to me, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. I have therefore whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed, through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about unto Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation, but as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see. And they that have not heard shall understand. Let us pray. Father, we come before you again just... So grateful that we know Your presence is in the room. The Holy Spirit is here. And I know that there will be a successful uh, application of the Word today because the Holy Spirit never makes mistakes. I know that He will apply this Word. And to some in the room, it will be a savor of life unto life. I pray that it would be that way to everybody in the room. And I pray, Father, now that You would just bless us to... Listen to the Word and that You would change us and make, make us more like Him, our heart's desire. In Christ's name, Amen. The Everlasting Mystery. Paul is now wrapping up this letter that we've been spending several years in. And as he started out talking about how, you know, my whole purpose is to come to you is to preach the gospel, tell you about this wonderful Christ who's raised from the dead, the hope of everyone who believes and, uh, and now as he's finished his basic instruction, he's still going to be instructing us, but he's now wrapping up the letter and he once again turns to this, this whole subject of the gospel, which is the everlasting mystery. 
that was hid from ages past, he would say over in Colossians. And he says it's a mystery in Ephesians. And he talks about this. And I call it the everlasting mystery because, you know, most mystery stories you read, you find out at the end, right? And so the mystery is over with. This mystery is never over. For all eternity, we're going to be unfolding the mystery of how God, how such a loving Father could rescue us, how He was able to solve the conundrum we were in of sin. Sin being passed down from generation to generation to even these babies that we're here speaking of this morning. They've got this contamination of sin. The only way they can be delivered is through the power of the gospel unto salvation in Jesus Christ. Who's the greatest mystery writer of all time? You know, you hear some people talk about that. We know that this is the greatest mystery of all time. You hear people talk about mystery writers. We like mystery. Don't you like mystery? I mean, every good story has a mystery in it. Uh, I think among female authors, Agatha Christie is probably considered one of the greatest female authors of mysteries. And uh, is looking at one of her stories just the other night. Uh, she was interviewed one time, and uh, you know she was being lauded for being a great mystery writer. And she was uh, talking about being married and being married to an archaeologist. And so the person interviewing her said, what's it like being married to an archaeologist? And she said, it's wonderful. The older I get, the more he appreciates me. Wouldn't that be wonderful if that could be said about us, that the older we get, the more we appreciate the gospel? Which is the old, old story. The story that we sing that song, you know, the the old, old story. We never get tired of hearing of it. And these authors today and these TV writers and movie writers are constantly writing movies and coming up with story after story. And after a while, you realize they're just all the same. They're all the same. But this story is unlike any other story that's ever been told. And Paul is telling us here as he wraps up this Romans letter about this great gospel and how God had promised over 4,000 years ago that He was going to solve the conundrum of how humanity was going to be saved from sin. And so he started communicating this gospel through the prophets. And he started even saying some 4,000 years ago through these prophets that I just quoted to you, that, that Paul is quoting there, Isaiah, that the Gentiles were going to hear this great mystery of the gospel and that they would hear it and they would understand it and that they would receive it and that they would be saved and they would be delivered from the wrath of God into His glorious presence. And so Jesus Christ came as a minister. He told us there in verse 8. And then Paul comes as a minister. He tells us that in verse 16. So that he might fulfill the promises made 4,000 years ago. And if you're in this room today and you believe in Jesus Christ unto salvation, you are evidence that those prophecies and promises are fulfilled in this room. 
and on October the 30th, 2022. And in that fulfilling of that promise, He's filling you with the fruits of the Holy Spirit so that you can participate in the work of the gospel to each other. And that's what He's been instructing us on in these last few chapters here and continues to instruct us on. So He's filling you with fruits that you can use in this loving community here, this community that's been called out of the world system into the kingdom of light where we minister love and forgiveness and warnings to each other. And he, he talks about that today. This week, the King of Kings sent us one of his ambassadors from India. Looking at the Joshua Project online, I, was, I heard this this week, I started thinking about this. How many people in India have heard the wonderful mystery of the gospel? Do you know? Do you know how many people are in India? I mean, those are all great questions. This week. I wish I could have been here. I was grieved that I was not able to be here to give respect to God's ambassador who came halfway around the world to tell you all about what God is doing over there. There are in the world some 8 billion people and about 3.4 billion of them have never heard this mystery of the gospel. Isn't that amazing? In today's world, with communication and internet and all of those things, 3.4 billion. In India, there are 2,373 people groups which means 2,373 different distinct languages that the Scripture needs to be translated into for them to be able to hear the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. 1.4 billion people live in India. 90% have never heard the gospel of the good news. And we got to hear one of the ambassadors this week come. And talk about that. What a privilege. What a privilege. So let's be in prayer for Brother Guna. And that we also would be ministering to one another this glorious gospel. Which is the hope of mankind. The only hope. I promise you politics is not a hope. We need to be involved in it. We need to be praying for it. We need to pray God. And God is ruling over that too. But the gospel is always successful. Christ's kingdom is successfully being expanded in this world. And again, we're not going to hear about that on the 5 o'clock news. You're only going to hear about that through people who come around the world like Guna to tell you about it. So today, you have heard the gospel. The only good news you'll ever need to hear. Have you responded to that gospel? This is a message that demands a response. And it elicits a response every time. Every time. So Paul preaches this gospel and he quotes these prophecies here because I think he's so excited to be part of this work. He said, here's this mystery that was hid from ages past. And he said, I get to be a part of this. You get to be a part of this mystery. To be able to minister this to one another. 
And you are fully equipped now. And Paul is going to start talking about that in verse 14. So now we're going to dig in and we're going to go through 14 through 21 now. And we're going to step through verse by verse and see how far we get. I don't know how much energy I'm going to have today. I'll get as far as I can and we're going to try to go this far. So here we see Paul in verse 14 is a pastor and a great encourager. So after giving all of this instruction to us, he said, And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Paul had mentioned when he started this letter that he thanked God through Jesus Christ, because their faith at this church at Rome had been spoken of throughout the whole world. And he continues to speak of that. I heard of your faith, I've seen your faith, and now I am persuaded that you're full of all goodness and able to minister to one another. He was persuaded. This is the same persuaded like when he said in a few chapters earlier, He said, I am persuaded that neither death nor life or angels or principalities or anything can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Paul is here just as persuaded that you are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another. You are in Christ. You have the Holy Ghost. You have the faith of God's elect. You are the beloved of God. In union with Christ, you have access to every drop of Christ's compassion and love and kindness. Paul here says, my brethren, twice. He says it in this verse and the next one, my brethren. That's a, that's a term of endearment. My brothers, my sisters, my family. The Holy Spirit, when He puts words into these texts, is not wasted if He repeats it. My brethren, he's saying we are all adopted into this glorious family. He goes on and says that you, in this phrase, that you also are full of goodness. He's saying just like everyone else in the kingdom of light that's been regenerated, born of the Spirit, called out of the world, you're full of goodness. And the idea there is a person who is filled with thoughts and emotions that are good. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. If you are letting the Word of truth dwell in you richly in the morning when you get up, thinking of it during the day, before you go to bed, putting a verse in your head, if you will let this Word dwell in you richly, then you will be filled with thoughts and emotions that are good. How many of us struggle with our emotions? All of us from time to time, right? But we have the medicine, the solution. The Holy Spirit, take these words and He will minister to your soul, to your mind, to your heart, to your emotions. He says, from this, this full of goodness, that means uprightness of heart, uprightness of life, kindness, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. So this goodness is a fruit of the Spirit. He says the same thing in Ephesians 5.9. He says, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness. 
and righteousness and truth. You're filled with everything you need to be able to love each other and minister to each other. Throughout Romans 12, 13, 14, 15, Paul has taught you that you have gifts. If you're born in the Spirit, you have gifts that you have an obligation to use to help each other on the way to glory. You're filled with all goodness. These fruits of the Spirit, I need them. And you need them. We need each other. We are a body in union with Christ. As much as the finger needs the hand and our whole body is connected, we also, as Paul teaches us, right, in Ephesians, we're all connected and it is through the body that this Holy Spirit is flowing in all goodness, with all knowledge, knowledge of the highest degree. You are filled with all knowledge, liberally supplied, filled up to cause you to abound. So goodness and knowledge, heart and mind, the new creation, the new creature, the new man, the new woman, created in Christ Jesus to be obedient to the faith. John the Baptist said in Luke 1, in talking about the coming of this Messiah and the great everlasting mystery of how how is God going to become a man? He said He was coming to give knowledge of salvation unto His people by the remission of their sins. Knowledge of salvation. This is Paul is saying here, you are filled up with this knowledge of salvation. And Christ said that I sent my Holy Spirit to you also, and John over there, 15, 16, that you would have the knowledge of the Father's salvation through the tender mercy of God to give light to each other and to the world. Father, this Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name, He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. And then John, as the author here, inspired by the Spirit, would teach us also in 1 John 2.18, this filling with all goodness and all knowledge comes from this Holy Spirit. And in 1 John 2.18, little children... It is the last time, and as you have heard, that Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. So he gives a warning first, and then in verse 20 says, But you have an unction, an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. You know all things. You are fully equipped with this Spirit so that you would know the things that you need for salvation. And John would go on there and say in 1 John, These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. You are going to try to be... Every day, seductions abound. Through devices, through screens, through medium. And the more you can turn that off, the better. And all of this goodness and knowledge of the glorious gospel flows through the power of the Spirit into you so that now you are able also to admonish one another. Able means you've got the ability. You're equipped. You're able to do this. Able to admonish. We did a whole message on that word admonish sometime in the back. And uh, I recommend if you 
have a desire to go back and look at that sometime, but that word there means to exhort, to warn, and as uh, J. Adams says it, to lovingly confront. We need to confront each other. Because there is a law of sin in our bodies warring against the law of our mind, trying to bring us into captivity to the law of sin which is in our flesh. And we need help with this. It's a narrow way. The narrow way to salvation. And we need each other along this narrow path of glory. We, he says, you are able to admonish one another, to warn each other of faults, to reprove with mildness. Always has to be done from a spirit of meekness. Considering yourself, lest you also fall. In 2 Thessalonians 3.15, Paul said, when there was a brother that had fallen into some error, he said, count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. It has the idea of counsel. The whole Christian biblical counseling movement is based upon this one word, admonish. To counsel against wrong practices, to caution or advise. Colossians 3.16, one admonish one another in psalms and hymns. We see there the beauty of how this takes place in our song service as it did today. It means to instruct or direct. It also is the first step of church discipline. This is where if we would all love each other enough to go to each other in private when we see something amiss and say, you know I love you, right? Kids, isn't that what your mom says when you're about to get in trouble? You know I love you. Well, that's a great way to start, isn't it? You go to a brother, you know I love you. And I've got some concerns. I've seen that you've been drifting away. You're not coming to church as much as you used to. You're not fellowshipping with the saints. I see you drifting away and I'm concerned about you, brother. I know that when a sheep wanders off away from the flock, they're a sitting duck. They're sitting duck for false doctrine and wolves. We got to warn each other and admonish one another. In Acts 20.31, Paul did this. And this word admonish here is translated warn. Therefore, watch and remember. Now there's a, there's a good pastor. Watch! Remember! That by the space of three years, I cease not to warn. There's that word. Admonish. I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Watch out for the enemies of your soul. Watch out for the lust of your heart. The sin that still dwells within. Christ has overcome these things by the blood of the cross. And Paul warned them day and night with tears that false preachers were going to come. And we're going to not spare the flock. He said the same thing in Colossians 1.28, whom we preach warning every man, every woman, teaching everyone in all wisdom that we may present everyone perfect in Jesus Christ. Paul had a desire to see you grow in maturity. A church that is not admonishing and lovingly warning each other is an immature church with immature Christians. 
And if we're going to have strong Christians and weak Christians, we've got to learn how to admonish one another in love so that we can all grow together. And we, always, we won't always get that right. We'll mess that up sometimes. But then that's where we can say, gosh, I messed up. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Psalms 141.5 Let the righteous smite me. It shall be a kindness. And let him reprove me, and it shall be an excellent oil. A person that is in Christ, that has humility and meekness, when somebody comes and says, yeah, i got a concern about something, we say, please tell me, I need help. We don't get filled with pride and anger. Let the righteous smite thee, and it shall be a kindness. Proverbs 19.25, Smite a scorner, and the simple will beware. And reprove one that has understanding, and he will understand knowledge. It's going on to say there that if you reprove somebody who has an understanding of sin and of the mysterious, the mystery of the gospel and our need of each other and of Christ, whenever we are reproved, we will grow in more knowledge, more skill about how to keep this heart with all diligence. And so Paul says here, I myself also am persuaded of you, brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. And then in verse 15 he says, Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me. He says here, putting you in mind. And I have written the more boldly. So Paul here is demonstrating how to do this admonishing. As he's writing right here this letter, he says, Nevertheless, you know, I've written... More boldly. It takes holy boldness, holy courage to admonish one another. As putting you in mind, because of the, Paul was giving grace as a minister, and you were given grace to minister to each other. Putting you in mind. How did Paul start this section in Romans 12? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and be not conformed to this world. You know how important your mind is? Oh, the danger you young people are in, and the old people, because of the propaganda that can get to your eyes and to your ears, those little buds you put in your ears and walk around. The music you listen to and the words and those songs are affecting you. Everything we see and engage with in this world is affecting us so that we need to be put in mind. Proverbs 4.23 Keep the heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. Out of it. Charles Bridges had this to say about this verse in his commentary. He said, The world around us is the action of mind upon mind. We are continually, through the medium of communication, 
molding ourselves by other minds and other minds by our own. Communication with the ungodly must therefore be fraught with fatal contamination. Is he right? Is he right? If he's right, then we got to be careful. We live in an age where we just think information is like food that you know you can eat this or eat that and it doesn't affect us. It does affect us. Over and over the scriptures talk about the importance of your mind. Be transformed in the renewing of your mind. We as a youth group went through that book, 12 Ways Your Smartphone is Changing You. Even unbelieving scientists are recognizing this technology is changing people. And we have to beware and use it for good. So Paul, as a good pastor, says, I'm putting you in mind. Peter would say, I'm doing this to remind you. Why do we need to be reminded? So much. In our current state, we kind of just live in the present moment, don't we? I mean, we can even hear a good message and be impacted by it, and by 6 o'clock tonight, be so wrapped up in a football game that we don't even remember. So He's putting you in mind. These are the things of life and eternity. And I'm telling you, there's a lot more pleasure and meditating on Scripture, though you've got to dig deep to get to this place, than there is in spending hours and hours of benign entertainment. That'll leave you dead and deadened. It overstimulates your mind and your senses and your emotions so that when you come to a place like this where you're going to get real spiritual food, you're deadened to the spiritual sensibilities and spirituality of who you are because of overconsumption. It's just like if you overeat and overeat, you're not going to be hungry or want to eat anything else. So we have to pay attention that we have an appetite of the mind, that we need to be reminded. Paul is writing here, I'm putting you in mind, there's a mystery here better than Agatha Christie's. There's a great mystery here of how you can be delivered from shame and how you can be delivered from peer pressure, how you can be delivered from the fear of what other people think about you and be only concerned with what what does my Lord think of me. Well, the Word says He loves me. He cherishes me. He sings over me. That will give you confidence, won't it? So Paul writing here to this church, wrapping up this letter, goes on and says that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God. He repeats gospel three times here and references it another time. He's so amazed that he gets to participate again in this mystery promised thousands of years ago through Abraham that the Gentiles would believe. And he said, the purpose of my being this minister is that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable. That your life, you might be living a life well-pleasing to God and acceptable to Him. 
being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. That sanctified there means holified, separated away from, separated from this to that. You have a higher purpose, a higher calling, people. You're spiritual beings. There are pleasures and riches forevermore in Christ to be found in prayer and meditation and the community of faith. Real things that will satisfy deeply and not leave you feeling empty. Sanctified by the Holy Ghost. Paul has said this over and over, how he was the minister of the Gentiles, that he was an ambassador for Christ, that he was the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles in Ephesians, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, laid down, that we would be honorable in how we live. David Brainerd, I was reading in his uh, diaries a little bit, there's a great quote there that gets at the essence of one who has tasted deeply of the mystery, the everlasting mystery of the gospel and its pleasures. And he said this, When I really enjoy God, I feel my desires of Him the more insatiable, and my thirstings after holiness the more unquenchable. He said, the more I tasted, the hungrier I got. Oh, for holiness. Oh, for more of God in my soul. Oh, this pleasing pain. It makes my soul press after God. Oh, that I may feel this continual hunger and not be retarded, but rather animated by every cluster from Canaan to reach forward to the narrow way. For the full enjoyment and possession of the heavenly inheritance. Oh, that I may never loiter on my heavenly journey. Oh, I pray that I would be more like that. That I, in tasting of these pleasures, would realize I would be weaned off more and more from this. Well, I, I tell you, that's taking place in my life. Aging is how God weans His children off this world. Your body wears out, your knees wear out, your ankles wear out, your tongue wears out. The people up in Benton Village in their 90s, they can't even read the hymnals anymore. But they know those hymns. They know them. And they can't read their Bibles anymore. But I'm telling you, those people know that word because they spent years studying that word. You need to be preparing yourself, memorizing Scripture, so that when you get to the point where you can't hear too well or see anymore, you've got the Word of God hid in your heart. Oh, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Paul goes on and says in 17 there, I have therefore whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ and those things which pertain to God. Paul says, I glory in the things of Jesus. He's boasting again. I glory in that. This is the only thing you can boast in is what Christ has done. I glory through Jesus Christ and those things which pertain to God. And then in verse 18, For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. Paul was so careful of the gospel. He didn't want to read anybody else. He wanted to read the Bible. He refused to boast of anything that didn't have anything to do with Jesus Christ. 
And Paul is setting the example here for us as he quotes Scripture after Scripture after Scripture. Can you quote Scripture like that? His purpose was to live such a Spirit-filled life of power and love that the Gentiles would see that and say, He's got something here, folks. I want to follow this. I want to know about this Christ. It's so attractive to see the power that Paul has in his life. The joy he has. His love for people. And those are the things he spoke about. To make the Gentiles, here's the purpose again, to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. If you've heard this gospel, that's your desire too. So I want to hear more of this. I want to know what's expected of me. Lord, I want to please you by living a life that my loving Father wants me to live. And you tell me, I've got the Holy Spirit, I've got the Word here, so now, Lord, I know I'm going to be able to do this. As your Word says, I am filled with all goodness and knowledge. Verse 19, he says, Through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about unto Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. I looked at a, Illyricum is about 1,500 miles from Jerusalem. And think about the transportation back then. So how did he get there? So it's either boat, horse, donkey, camel, I mean, or foot, right? 1,500 miles that he went. And he labored and he preached and Paul was beaten three times with a rod. He suffered shipwreck. He was stoned and left for dead in all of those journeys. Why? So that he might make known the everlasting mystery of the gospel of how God is going to save us. Save us from ourselves. Save us from God's wrath. Save us to everlasting glory. To save us, to be able to live a life of peace and joy now in the Holy Ghost. What is the power of your example? Paul's got a great one, doesn't he? What does your example look like to the world? Do you look like a person whose face is glowing with joy? Have you tasted of the mystery? If you've tasted the mystery of the gospel, you're going to be filled with that kind of joy. And people will come to you and say, tell me about the hope that you have. And then you can tell them. In verse 19, he says, Through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about into the Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Fully preached it. He fully preached in perfect tense. Now, what does perfect tense mean? This is that verb tense that means once it's done, it's done in the past and it's, it's completed once and for all. So Paul says, in this area where I went and preached the gospel, it was fully preached and it had the desired effect. And what was the effect? Well, we just talked about it. Many came to faith and repentance and many became the enemies of Christ and tried to murder Paul to try to stop the spread of this news. In 2 Corinthians 2.14, Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. Isn't that great? He always causes us to triumph in Christ. 
and makes manifest the savor of His knowledge by us in every place. The savor. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? Terrifying. This message, as I deliver it right now, to some will smell sweet. And, and it will be a savor of sweetness in the room. To others, it will harden them and drive them away. Oh, I pray that is none of you here today. He says, who's sufficient for these things? Who's sufficient for this kind of a message that creates that kind of response? You remember when Isaiah saw God and said, woe is me. He thought he was going to come apart when he came into the very presence of God. And and God said, who's going to go for us? And Isaiah said, I'll go. What message you want me to preach? God, he said, I want you to go preach a message whereby they will not hear, they will not see, and they will not Understand the gospel and be saved. Woo! How long? How long do I got to preach that message? God, and it said, until the appointed time. That's still going on in the world today. The many, the gospel is becoming a word of judgment. Everyone in this room, you will be held accountable on the day of Christ for what you did with the gospel. Your spiritual senses are able to discern the sweetness of the smell. I don't think it's an accident you're here today. I think it's a purpose you're here today. So that again, you might hear this mystery, this everlasting mystery of the gospel. Paul would go on and say in verse 20, Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel... Not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. Paul did not want to proselytize. He did not want to go and get a notch in his belt by rebaptizing somebody. He wanted to go where the gospel had never been heard because he knew that there was a power in God's Spirit through the word of truth that would call God's children out of the world and it would be successful. He said, I'm going to go where nobody's ever heard it before because I know when I preach this gospel, it's going to change their lives. Some of them. And he did and they did. Many were changed. So he didn't want to build on anyone else's foundation, just the foundation of Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. And then we'll finish this section here. But as it is written, again, he's quoting from the Old Testament. What an example for us. The Gospels in the Old Testament. As it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. Have you seen? Have you understood the things that have been written for thousands of years about the only hope for humanity? Isaiah is the quote there from 65.1. I am sought of those that ask not for me. I am found of them that sought me not. Behold, a nation 
that was not called by my name shall hear and understand. So Paul went, Paul labored, Paul preached. He wrote this letter under inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that we might understand today, here, 2,000 years later, we're still hearing this glorious, everlasting mystery of the gospel. This is that great story that a woman who had a disease and bled all the time. For 12 years, she heard it and was healed. This is the same news that a woman heard that was bent over for 18 years. She couldn't lift herself up and she was made straight. This is the news of a loving father who's looking down the road even now for a repentant son coming home. And he will jump up and run to meet you. Have you come to him? Then repent. Say, I realize I'm here eating this pig slop. And I need to go home to my father. Even his servants have enough. And get up. And it can be said of you that he came to his right mind and went home. It's the mystery that's hid even until now. This great mystery. Even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generation, but now is made manifest to His saints. Now revealed to you, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So you have heard the gospel, the only good news you will ever need to hear. Are you hearing it? Are you seeing it? I heard this this week. Religion is the attempt by human beings to establish a relationship between themselves and something outside themselves that they deem to be of life-shaping importance. In spite of the fact that the gospel has been seen by outsiders as a religion and sold as a religion, it is not a religion at all. Rather, it is the announcement of the end of religion. Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone that believes. So through Him, we're restored to a relationship so that you can live and move and have your being in this wonderful thing called life this week, rejoicing in hope and fellowship with your Father all the time. Thank you, Father. Thank you for this. Lord, help me with that. Help me with this trial. Always in fellowship, walking in faith, abiding until He come again. You are the beginning of the new creation. You are able to do this. So minister to one another, love one another, and may God bless His Word.